0: We are continuing uh, today through our, our study through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 14, which is the uh, beginning of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's the final sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples uh, the night before his arrest and when he was crucified. And, and this sermon is the next four chapters, uh, John 14 to, to 17. So we're going to be looking at for several weeks. And this passage is uh, particularly beautiful. These are some of the most profound chapters about who God is and what it means to have a relationship with him. So we're in John 14, starting in verse 1. You can follow along there in your bulletin. This is the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house, Then these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we uh, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the pages of the scriptures, and Lord, we long to know you, and uh, so we open our hearts, we open our minds for you to teach us, and above all, teach us about the grace and the hope that um, our Lord uh, spoke to his disciples uh, in that upper room those many years ago, that we might know that same grace and hope, and uh, so would your Holy Spirit teach us, instruct our minds, instruct our hearts, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are uh, talking about the topic of hope, which I, I think is a relevant topic for a new year. You know, we've all come through a, a difficult year and it was constant effort to find what is the hope that's ahead of us. And hope is important because though hope is about something that's in the future, it gives endurance, purpose, and direction in the present, and uh, for most people, you know, when someone's experiencing real despair in their lives, the real dire situation they get into is when hope is lost. When there's no hope, people really lose a reason for living. And so, hope is one of the most important uh, Christian virtues. And I was really struck by something in this passage. You'll notice how the passage I just read starts. Jesus says let not your hearts be troubled. And it, uh, let not your hearts be troubled is one of those verses where if you have a troubled heart, you're like, well, I don't want a troubled heart. It's not like I can just turn my troubled heart on and off and you're telling me not to do it. It's kind of like the commands about anxiety where the Bible says, don't be anxious. And some of you, if you struggle with anxiety, you say, well, I'd love to turn off my anxiety if I could, but it's kind of with me all the time. Well, what struck me about this command when Jesus says, let your, not your heart be troubled, is in the three each of the three chapters leading up to this, Jesus' own heart was troubled. When his friend Lazarus died in chapter 11, he was greatly troubled. When he starts thinking about the hour of his death on the cross in chapter 12, he says, now is my soul troubled. And when he realized Judas would betray him, it says in chapter 13, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So Jesus tells us, let not your heart be troubled. And yet three times it says his heart was troubled. How do you understand that? Well, you know, you find a similar pattern, actually, about anxiety, where the Apostle Paul says, do not not be anxious about anything. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians that he feels the daily pressure of his anxiety over the churches. Anxiety was a daily struggle for the Apostle Paul, and yet he says, you know, don't be anxious about anything. How are you supposed to understand that? Well, I think the answer is, don't be grieved without hope. Don't have anxiety without hope. Don't let your heart be troubled without hope. And in this passage, Jesus, in the night before his crucifixion, he focuses his disciples' attention on the hope of heaven. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, the Christian hope of heaven. And I want to just answer two simple questions for us from this passage. What is the hope of heaven, and how do we get there? What is the hope of heaven, and how do we get there? And uh, I'll say, actually, is this week, two years ago, my, my own father went to be with the Lord and in heaven. So this passage was a great comfort to me studying, and I hope it's a comfort uh, to, you, to you all as well. So uh, two questions this morning. The first is this. What is the hope of heaven? And three answers to that that I want to point out from this passage. The first answer is that heaven... Is a gigantic house with many rooms. Heaven's a gigantic house with many rooms. And you see that Jesus says that in verse 2 In my Father's house are many rooms. And I love that little line that here's Jesus on the night before his crucifixion, and he's with his closest friends. And he's saying to them, listen, there's this amazing house, and we're all going to be there together. I used to live there. I'm going back there. I'm going to get it ready for the reunion when we're all going to get together. And I love how heaven is a house. Heaven's not clouds where you bounce around in the kind of vague white. It's a house. It's a mansion. And I think it's worth noting, this is a particularly gigantic house because Jesus says there's rooms for all of his disciples who will ever live there, which I don't know how many disciples Jesus had. I mean, billions of disciples Jesus has had and will have. And you might say, how do you have a house with billions for billions of people in it? Well, the Bible says that the earth itself is a house. God intended, you know, in Job, uh, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? The earth is a house that fits billions of people. And so whatever heaven is, is some vast, beautiful place that has the size of earth, but has the comfort and familiarity and intimacy of a home. That's what God has for us. And there's something so thrilling about coming into a gigantic house, especially when you're a kid, and that has all kinds of hallways and hidden doors and kitchens in the basement, and the kid just wants to go explore and to think that heaven's kind of like that. And you imagine dying, and and you come into this great house. And, you know, we're all like, what's it going to be like? And so as soon as you come in, you're like, whoa, there's stairway, staircases and chandeliers. I don't know what's there. And you got, you imagine you got an angel. who's kind of getting you situated. He's showing you around. This is where we feast with Jesus. This is where we sing with him. And you're just looking at the beauty of this majestic house. And all of a sudden he says, and then I'll show you where your room is. And you say, my, I have a room? In this place, there's somewhere there's a particular room uh, for me. And, uh, and, you know, when you're a kid and you first get your own room, it's a great joy there's in that. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have a room in heaven. And I've shared with some of you that when I was a teenager, um, my parents had me sent away. Oh, I was 16 years old for a year and a half. I, I was, you know, dropped out of school, in trouble. And so I, I did it to a behavioral modification program on the island of Western Samoa. So it's right halfway between Hawaii and New Zealand. And a, a year and a half when you're 16 is a long, it feels like an eternity. And we, in this place, it was a really hard place to live. We lived in these huts where I'd sleep on the floor with all these other kids. There was no windows or doors. And I just dreamed about what it was like to be home. I just couldn't imagine. It's very similar to how we feel when we think about, you know, someday I'm going to be in heaven, and I can't even imagine being there. Is it ever really going to come? And I felt that way. And then the day came, and I, I came home. And I remember I had my body had a physical reaction to being in my home. It was like the house was sparkling, and I was running into the, I was like, oh, the kitchen. I remember the kitchen. I remember this mug, and I go in the living room, and I remember this couch and everything, and I went downstairs to my room. I remember I was by myself, and the door was closed, and I held my breath as I went into my room. I was finally here, and there's something about your room that has comfort. It is the place of probably most rest of anywhere in the world where you feel at rest and you can just be yourself and that you've got nothing to put on, nothing to prove. And there's something like that room is what is prepared for us in heaven. And so what's the hope of heaven? Well, first, heaven is a gigantic house with many rooms. But when we realize there's a room for each of us, that's a second answer to the question, is that heaven is a place uniquely prepared for you. Heaven is a place uniquely prepared for you. And again in verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus has gone into heaven and has prepared a place uniquely for you and for me. And now this is a very different than an Eastern understanding of uh, kind of the afterlife, in the, in the Eastern understanding of enlightenment or nirvana, the goal of your life is, is to become a drop in the ocean of oneness. And so your individual personality and the dis- uniqueness of who you are is actually erased. You know, that's your ego that makes you that way. And, and you just want to become one with existence. And the Christian hope is very different. Christian hope says that you're, you were made in the image of God uniquely, to uniquely reflect what God is like. And that uniqueness will continue in in the heaven and into the resurrection, the future resurrection. And one of the uh, first Christian books that I read when I became a Christian, I hardly read any books, was uh, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. And it was a really challenging book for me. I hadn't read very many books. I got about halfway through it, and I was like, I'm not sure I'm understanding this, Should I keep reading it. And I decided to read all the way to the end which was a good thing because the final chapter was on heaven. And Lewis was writing a book where he said, well, I wrote all these chapters about suffering and pain. I need to talk about the other side, which is heaven. And in that chapter, he talks about how each of us has a unique shape to our souls. And that shows itself in the little quirky things that we all like. You know, we all have these things that we like that no one really understands. Why do you like that? Why are you so obsessed with that? Why do you get such a joy in that? I know for me... I love throwing a football, is one of the great joys in life. And as some of you would think throwing a football is like your favorite thing in the world. And I could spend like three hours throwing a football, the spiral and the timing of it, everything. And all of us have these little, these little secret quirks that people don't really understand totally about us. And, uh, and Lewis says there's this secret quality in us. And well, what does that have to do with heaven? Well, this is what, how Lewis explains it. And what shall we take this secrecy to mean? Surely that each of the redeemed shall forever know and praise some one aspect of the divine beauty better than any other creature can. Why else were individuals created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? God loves each of us uniquely and differently. And Lewis says that there is some beauty about God that you are uniquely created to understand, to know about God, to be able to explain, to be able to praise that no one else can praise the way that you can. And so forever, you're going to be a source of good news to everyone because you're going to tell about this one piece of God's beauty that we will learn from you and praise God from. And so that Heaven itself becomes not this one sound that we all make, but it's like an orchestra. We're all making these these different sounds of praise to God that come into a beautiful song. And that's why I say heaven is a place uniquely prepared for you because you were uniquely created for this purpose. Or as Lewis puts it, your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it made for its stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. So this is a beautiful picture that heaven is its gigantic house and we have this unique room there. We have a unique purpose and something about the unique shape of our souls will be used to glorify God in some beautiful way. There, But the third thing is probably the most important thing about what is the hope of heaven is heaven is where we get to be with Jesus heaven is where we get to be with Jesus. And that's what Jesus says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know, we get very little detail about in the Bible about what heaven's like and what's there. The one thing that was repeated over and over there that we know is there is Jesus. And uh, we get to eat with him, and talk with him, and experience life with him, and above all, to worship him. And I think for some people, the idea of being with Jesus forever may not sound exciting, because probably what comes to mind is like being in church for eternity, and that sounds like exhausting, like being in church for it As you say, I'd rather like travel the world or learn an instrument that I could play and be really proficient at. Um, but I think that even when we have all those dreams of like traveling the world or playing an instrument, it's always would be best with someone who understood that thing that we love. So, you know, if we went on an adventure, we want someone who appreciates the beauty of where we went. Or if you're playing an instrument, you want to play with someone where you have that chemistry going, they understand the music the way you understand it. And it's like the unique shape of your souls is overlapping. But even in this life, when we experience joys like that, and we know people who kind of get us, it's always incomplete. There's always a barrier that they don't totally get us. There's a little bit of overlap, but no one really totally gets us. And um, well, one thing that Lewis points out again is in Revelation 2, Jesus says this. I've never thought of this before. To the one who conquers, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. In heaven, Jesus is going to give you a white stone with a name on it, and no one's going to know it except you and Jesus. There is a secret in heaven that is intimately known only by you and your Lord. And, that is the, and the thing is your name. It's who you are. He knows you. He is the one that gets you. And so what being an attorney is, you're finally with the person who understands what you were made for and actually can connect with you at the deepest level, and you get to be with him. And so all of those friendships where it felt like, oh, there was a little bit of overlap and it was such a joy And this life, is just a preview, it's just a taste of the true deep intimacy, the fulfillment of intimacy that we will have with the Lord forever in heaven. And so when you ask, what is the hope of heaven? It's really the fulfillment of all our deepest desires and longings. It is our Father's gigantic house where there is a room, a place that has been uniquely prepared for us by Jesus. And there we will be with him, the one who formed our souls, the only one who fully gets us. We will be with him forever. I'll tell you, truly, there is no more beautiful hope anywhere in the world than what's in this passage. Nowhere. And so that leads to a second question. How do you get there? How do you have that hope of heaven? And the Bible is clear not everyone has it, and not everyone has this hope. And so This is a, a crucial question. There are two answers to that question that I want to point out from this passage. Okay? The first is that the way to God is Jesus. The way to God is Jesus. And you'll see this verse mentioned several times, the word way. It could be translated the path or the road. Uh, In verse 4, Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the road. I am the path and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is clear. He is the only path to God. Now, of course, many people in our culture would say, well, you know, I have a relationship with God. I don't think you necessarily have to go through Jesus to have a relationship with God. I have a direct connection to God. I don't have to, you know, go through the Jesus of the Bible. And so that's the question. Can you have a direct relationship with God? Or are there many paths and ways to get to God? Well, uh, notice what Jesus says there in verse 7. He says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? And then listen to this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What Jesus is saying is that He is God saying to us, "This is who I am." This is God speaking to us. You know, Jesus is called in other places the Word of God. He's God's expression to us. And you think about in any other relationship, you have to know the person through their words. That's the only way to know a person is through their words. And uh, and you know, an illustration that came to mind a a few years ago was, uh, you know, imagine you come over to my house and we're sitting on the couch. Talking and and my sh- I take off my shoes and put them in the middle of the living room and my wife comes in and says you know can you get pick up your shoes and someone's gonna step on them and uh, and she walks away and then I say to you uh, she doesn't really care if I pick up the shoes and you say I'm pretty sure she does she just said like to to pick up the shoes and I say well I know that's what she said I have a direct connection I don't have to go through her words I. I know what she's really thinking, and I can bypass the words and get to her. What would you say? You say, you do not know her. The way you know her is through the words. You're just imposing on her what you want so that you can do whatever you want. People do that with God all the time. God says, this is who I am. And say, you know what? I don't need to go through your words or what you've said about yourself. I have a direct connection. And what they're actually doing is imposing on God who they want him to be so that God says whatever they do is okay. And in fact, if you do that with anyone, you say, I don't actually need to listen to your words. I can ignore your words, and I can just impose my intuition about you on you. That What will that person say? You don't know me. You're not listening to me. You don't have a relationship with me. God has spoken to us. We have to listen to him. And so... Uh, That's why Jesus says the only way to God is to him because he is God's word. He is God saying, this is who I am. And if you won't listen to Jesus, you won't know God. So first answer, how do we get to heaven? First is the way to God is Jesus. Second, the way to Jesus is faith. The way to Jesus is faith. And by faith, I mean believing and trusting in him. And you see that faith or believing is repeated several times in this passage. Uh, The end of verse 1, Jesus says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Or later in verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Or verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. It is clear that the way to Jesus is faith is by is believing. And if you might think of it if Jesus is the road to God, faith is how you get on that road. Now that raises another question that some of you might have is why is faith in Jesus the thing that God requires? Like of all the things that God could require of humanity, this is the crucial thing that you believe in Jesus. I mean, you might think it seems kind of arbitrary that if you happen to believe in this doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for our sins, if you believe in that, you get to be in the gigantic house for eternity and have all your deepest desires fulfilled. But if you happen to not believe in that doctrine, then you get cast into the outer darkness and you're apart from him forever. How does that make sense? Well, there are a lot of answers to that. Let me give you two reasons why faith in Christ is the crucial thing, that God says this is the most important thing. Is that first, heaven is where you get to be with Jesus. That's what heaven is. That's what we said the most important thing is heaven, is being with Jesus. So loving him, trusting him, wanting him, desiring him is to desire heaven. That's what it is. And that's what Jesus says in verse 3, Where I am, you may be also. And so if you don't love Jesus, if you don't want him as your king and to live under his rule for eternity, then you wouldn't want to be in heaven and you, where everyone is worshiping him all the time. You know, it's like in uh, the epic poem Paradise Lost, where Satan says, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Satan doesn't want to be in heaven where all the angels are worshiping Jesus all the time. That makes him sick. His pride hates that. If your heart is so hardened against Jesus that you would never want him controlling your life, then heaven would be more torturous than hell. God is not forcing people to worship Jesus against their wills. So in that sense, just as heaven is being prepared for us, faith is how we are being prepared for heaven, to love him, to want to be with him, and to worship him. So first, the reason it makes sense that faith in Christ is the crucial thing is because heaven is where Jesus is. The second thing, second reason is faith makes heaven accessible to anyone. Faith makes heaven accessible to anyone. Because you imagine, like, if, if the crucial thing isn't faith, well, what is the crucial thing? And most people would say, well, you've got to be a decent person. You've got to be generous. You've got to be loving. You've got to treat people well. Now, if you make that the crucial thing, it's not a level playing field. Because some people grew up in a loving family where they connected in really loving ways and, and, and then some people grew up where they were neglected and mistreated and they're going to spend their whole life learning how to love people. And so if you make that the requirement, it's not an equal way for all of us to get in. But if you say the, to get into heaven, you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner in the sight of God. Justly deserving is displeasure and your only hope is to trust in the love of Jesus as your Savior. Anyone can do that. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, you had a happy family, you had a dysfunctional family, you're a greedy person, you're a cold person, you're a gregarious person, any culture you're from, any race, it doesn't matter who you are, that is an open offer to anyone. It levels the playing field. That's the grace that God gives. The gospel says you are all the same, And all you have to do is have the humility to accept the love of God and Jesus. And that is what faith is. Faith makes heaven accessible to anyone. And all kinds of people are going to be in heaven. We're going to find when we get there. God has welcomed all different kinds of people with all different kinds of backgrounds. And this doesn't mean that loving people and being a decent person doesn't matter. Because, in fact, Jesus says that faith is the source of being a loving person. Look at what he says in verse 12. These are amazing words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He says if you believe in him, you'll start living the way that he lived. And he doesn't say focus on being a good person. We all know how discouraging that is to try to be a good person. He says focus on him. Believe in him. Trust in him. And he says, if you focus on me, I will do things through you that you never imagined. And so this is the grace of the Christian faith. Believe, trust, receive, and he'll not only give you heaven in the future, he will give you the ability to love in the present. And this whole approach to life is the hope of heaven. If you want an amazing hope to live inside of you, the hope of a gigantic house with many rooms, one of which has been uniquely prepared for you by Jesus where you'll experience friendship with Jesus and his people forever. The road there is Jesus and the way to get on that road is by faith. And so that puts before all of us the question this morning. And I put this question before you. If you're an adult, if you're a young person, if you're a child, I put before you this question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you trust him? Will you humble yourself enough to receive his love? Maybe you're here and you do not believe in Jesus. Or maybe you're like, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. Well, today, God invites you. God calls you. God commands you. Believe in him. And you might say, well, how am I going to do that? Well, we're going to. Take communion here in a few minutes. And that is a time to pray. Tell him, I believe in you. I trust you. I receive you. And one of the things that the Bible says over and over again is that believing in your heart is always paired with confessing with your mouth. And one of the things that we're going to do is right after I pray here, we'll all stand up together and we'll recite the words of the Apostles' Creed. And what does the Apostles' Creed say? I believe, I believe, I believe. And we're going to all together with our mouths confess as we believe in our hearts that indeed the hope of heaven is ours.